Turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and I, I want to talk to you this morning about the, uh, the importance of endurance, and, and uh, I'm, I've titled this Seven Keys for Winning in Life. Seven Keys for Winning, and how many of you want to win? I mean, uh, where life is concerned, you don't want to go through life a loser. There's something about a loser. Nobody likes a loser. You don't even like yourself if you're a loser. And uh, yesterday was the Kentucky Derby, and, and uh, there was a horse that won that race, and everybody loves that horse. That's all they want to talk about today. They're not talking about the horses that lost. They're talking about the one that won, and that's just the way life is. People love a winner, and they don't, they don't want to be associated with a loser. And uh, it's the same way with, uh, you know, people and as it is with horses. P people need to win. You need to be a winner. Amen. You want to be a winner. Yes, but we need to be willing to put forth the effort that it takes to win in life. Amen. Winning in life does not come automatically. It's not like a lottery where, where, you know, you just pick a number and hope that you can win. No, winning can be a guaranteed outcome of your life if you'll put forth the right effort and do the right things. And I want to talk to you about seven things you can do to be a winner in life and to endure to the end and come out the winner. Everybody interested in that? Amen. Anybody interested? Okay. Well, uh, James chapter 1 is the, the first key, and it, this key is called never give up. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man or woman or boy or girl. Blessed is the individual that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Well, in this case, the temptation would be to quit to stop, to just give up. If you're going to win in life, you have to be a stubborn person. You have to stubbornly resist the temptation to quit, to give up. We were praying for Chris earlier. He's starting a college career here. And uh, I know that the temptation is going to hit him over and over and over and over to just give up because it's hard because it takes time, it costs money, it's, it, a lot of effort is involved in finishing a course. Amen. I know for a fact because, you know, I went to college. Well, I, you know, I had to graduate high school first, Amen. and that was a challenge enough. But then I went to college. I was the first person in my whole family to ever even attend college, much less graduate. I was even told, you know, no Thomason has ever gone to college. You prideful thing, you. I mean, I was accused of being prideful. I was accused of, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, a show off. And who do you think you are? That kind of stuff. And, uh, and then when I got into college, I didn't like it. And I kept looking at, boy, I've got four more years of this. I, you know, because I, I didn't go to a two-year college. I went to a four-year college. And it takes a lot of people five years and, or more to finish. But I was determined I was going to get in there 
and out of there as fast as I could. So I took night classes. I took summer classes. I took the maximum load every semester. And, uh, and I didn't have any money. I didn't, have, I didn't take out any loans. I didn't, I didn't get any student loans or government loans. I had no scholarships. So I, and my dad says, I don't, I don't mind you going to college, but I can't pay for it. He said, you're welcome to live here. You know, you're welcome to drive one of my old jalopies off the car lot. But he says, oh, more than that, um, I can't help you. So I had to get a job. So many times I would go to school all day, take a night class, and then at 11 o'clock that night I would go to my job and I'd work till 7 in the morning. I did that for four years. Many times I'd get off at work at 7 and my first class was at 8. And it took me 30 minutes to get there. So I would have 30 minutes to clean up and, get, and then go to class. I'd walk into my 8 o'clock class, and as soon as I sat down, I'd go. <laughs> <laughs> and those classes I didn't do so well in. But I hated it. First of all, it was a secular university. I was, I was already licensed to preach. All I wanted to do was preach the gospel. And, uh, and I didn't, you know, I, I'd go to these classes and these atheist professors and the, all this you know, evolution, garbage, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I had one professor that, you know, he spent the whole semester talking about how Mohammed was better than Jesus. And that was a government class. I went to an economics class, and the first thing the, the professor did is he got up and he says, I filed bankruptcy seven times, and I'm here to teach you economics. I just shut my book. I thought, good grief. And, and I, I went to another class. The teacher's name was Chick White. She was a lesbian. She said, there's three things I hate. Number one, I hate men. All those girls in that class turned around and looked at me and Ricky Fowle. We were the only two men in the class. She says, the second thing I hate is people that sit by the door so they can be the first ones out. Well, guess where we were sitting? And then she said, and the third thing I hate is people who bring Bibles to my class. Guess what we had on our desk? Our big old Dakes Bibles. And, uh, and she hated us. She hated him worse than me. She would give me an F, and she'd give him an F minus. I don't know what it was about Ricky that really ticked her off. But, I mean, I got the Fs. He got the F minuses. One time we were studying uh, 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 the Telltale Heart. That poem, you know, by, what's his name? Ed, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe, The Telltale Heart. And she asked the question. She says, what do you think inspired him to write that poem? Ricky File raises his hand. She calls on him, and he says, I, I think he was demon-possessed. <laughs> F minus. <laughs> Every paper we turned in, we got an F. He got an F. I got an I got an F, he got an F minus. We went to the department head. We said, we got to have this credit. We gotta, we've got to have this, this class. And she's failing us. And he said, she can't fail you. She's on probation for failing too many students. So he's, he, says, he says, she can't fail you. And sure enough, when they posted the grades, I got a D and he got a D minus. <laughs> but we got the credit. But needless to say, we didn't, it, that did not inspire us 
to just keep coming to class. But we did. And I remember many times I'd sit, you know, I commuted to school and I'd park my car in a parking spot somewhere and I would sit there waiting for, you know, to get out of my car and go to class. And I, 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 would, I would say, look, God, why? Why do I need to go to that class? I hate that class. I'm not learning anything good in that class. Lord, why? And, and the Lord would just say, you need to finish what you started. And so for four years, I would do that. For, you know, some classes I enjoyed, most of them I didn't. And, uh, and, uh, but I went to that class because I promised my dad I would, I would uh, get a skill that I could fall back on in, in the ministry and if God failed me. And that's not what he said, but that's the way I took it. If God fails me, I need to have something to fall back on. And so I went four years and got a teacher's degree that I've never had to fall back on. I've used it, but I've never fallen back on it because God has never failed me. God has never failed me. But God did require me to endure to the end. Blessed is the man that endureth the temptation to quit. How many times in your life have you started something, but when it got tough, you quit it? Those are not the times in your life that you're proud of, are they? You're most proud of those times in your life where you stuck with it, followed through, ducked your head and just plowed through like a bull and won the prize. Amen? I'll never forget the day I walked across that platform in my black robe and my funny hat and the tassel dangling, and I reached out and took that diploma. I've got it hanging on the wall in there in my office right now. It represented four years of endurance. <laughs> and it proves something. It proves that I can set my mind to do something and do it. And it has served me well. Not so much all the things I learned in the classrooms, but what I learned by that experience has served me well in life. The discipline of following through. Amen? And it made me determine not to be a quitter. I wasn't a quitter before that, or I would have quit. I had friends that started out with me, and, and they quit. And, and the ministry's like that. They, they say that someone did a study, and they say that for every 20 people that starts out in the ministry, within 20 years, only one of them is still going. And I've looked around. I've seen all the corpses and all the bodies and all the, all, all, all the shipwrecks. And I've noticed that, that that's a true figure. So if you see two people who started out together and they're still in the ministry together, then, you know, you, you've got a double miracle there. Amen? It helps to have a buddy like that. Well, Ricky Fowle was my buddy. And uh, he, he and I both are still in the ministry. Praise the Lord. After 56 years. We've beat the odds. But I believe it's because God gave me and gave him a determination to stick with it and to not be a quitter. That word endurance from the dictionary means the ability to keep doing something. The ability to keep doing something difficult, unpleasant, or painful for a long time. 
I really rejoice with these couples who celebrate their golden anniversaries. Because for many of them, it was difficult, unpleasant, and painful. Like the guy who, who's celebrating his golden anniversary, and he, he turned to his wife, and he said, she's given me the best 12 years of my life. You know, you know they finally worked it out and, uh, and got to a smooth place. Praise God. But they didn't quit, did they? How many of you have been married a long time and you're glad you, you didn't quit? Praise the Lord. What a blessing it is. Some, some, uh, some people require more endurance than others. But thank God he gives it. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says that, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, and that word patience is the same word for endurance. Let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What did Jesus do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus didn't quit. And he's called us to follow him. If you follow Jesus, you're not going to be a quitter. If you follow Jesus, you're not going to be a loser. It looked like he lost. But he endured the shame of what appeared to be a defeat on the cross. And three days later, he rose again and was accepted at the right hand of the Father in heaven and given a name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will confess that he is Lord of all. Amen? So don't quit. Don't quit. Praise God. Endure the hardship as a soldier. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're soldiers. We're not, we're the, the church is not a body of wimps. The church is a body of soldiers. And, we're, and soldiers are required to endure hardness. Amen? I never was a soldier. I was in ROTC one semester back in 1968. Y'all know what was going on in the world in 1968? And I was in ROTC. I, I remember I went down to get my sharpshooter badge. Man, I aced that thing. They said, you've won your sharpshooter badge and I said, well, give it to me. And they said, no, you, you get it next semester, but you have to sign up. And my daddy told me, never volunteer. And I'm, I'm thinking, Vietnam is calling, and they want me to sign up, and they think I'm going to do that just so I can get that little pen. I can, go, I can go down to a gun show and buy that pen today for two bucks. I think I will because I earned it. But I wasn't going to sign up to go to Vietnam. Amen? I was in college. I, I had a four-year plan there. I was, so, you know, I just, so I just trusted God, got my number off the little ping-pong ball, you know, my draft number, 256. And, and, uh, and so I, I just waited. And, you know, they, they stopped drawing those numbers at, I think, 251 or 2, something like that. 
when they ended the draft. Well, by then, I was already pastoring a church. So, praise God. So, I didn't go to Vietnam, but I did, I did endure hardness for a semester. Uh, yeah, that part was fun, you know. But anyway, you know, marching in the field and polishing my gun and my shoes and, and wearing the uniform and catching the field on fire with our cannon. And, uh, you know, just, you know, little things like that. But... I know we've got, we've got a Marine here. We've got somebody, a submariner over there. We've got an Army guy back there. You know, we, we've got people who served. And I want to tell you, you know, uh, they put you through it. You don't just automatically come out a soldier because you put a uniform on. They, they go through what's called basic training. And if you endure that, then you can get promotions. And it might even save your life in battle. So... You know, uh, the Bible says that we as Christians are to endure that hardness as a soldier. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, that's number one. Number two, I got seven of these. Ruth says, you always spend most of your time on number one. I said, that's why it's number one. Amen. Amen. Number two is laugh at yourself. Never give up and learn to laugh at yourself. Some people take themselves too seriously. Some people are so full of pride that if you, if you laugh at them, they get, they get mad at you. Well, I learned early in life that, uh, that uh, I, need to, I need to just look in the mirror and laugh. Don't take yourself so seriously. Learn to laugh at yourself. That way when other people are pointing their finger at you and laughing, you can laugh too. Amen? You can have as good a time as they are. Hello. Amen. It's better than crying. Amen. Amen. Somebody asked me after I married Ruth, they said, well, how is it? And I said, oh, I spent a lot of time laughing. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, it's better than crying. Amen. <laughs> I, just cho I just choose to laugh. Oh, man, this is fun. Oh, I'm having fun washing these dishes. Oh, I'm having fun. You know, Woo! Isn't this fun? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Amen. Just learn to laugh. Turn to someone and look at them and ask me if, it's not, if God doesn't have a sense of humor. Just look at them. You know. Well, you need to be able to look in the mirror and see yourself and laugh. Isn't life fun? Why? Because Proverbs 17, 22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit drieth the bones. A lot of Christians are just dry bones. They need to read Ezekiel's prophecy. And they need to look in the mirror and start prophesying to their dry bones. Amen? Because, because there's no humor in their life, they, they dry up. You're going to dry up. You're not going to make it as a Christian if you don't develop a sense of humor. I love, I love to laugh, and I love to be around people who laugh. I grew up in a family of people that laughed all the time. And, and they would laugh at nothing. I, I remember going to a family reunion, and there were all these Thomasons there. And all the Thomason women were these little short women, little short, round women. And a lot of them would have little doilies on their head and uh, that they knitted themselves. And, and or scarfs or whatever you call them. 
and 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 the men you know the men would be over in one corner and they would be just laughing and cutting up and having a great time and then all these little short plump women would be over there just bouncing just bouncing you know just laughing and just having a great time and I, as a kid i'd go what are y'all laughing at nobody could tell me <laughs> nobody knew what they were laughing at they were just laughers well when i when i got older and became a teenager and became interested in girls I would dump the girl that had no sense of humor. Now, I only dated girls in the church. I only, I only dated Christian girls, and, and I, would, you know, I would take them to church. That's where I would go on a date. Hey, let's go to church. And, you know, I, you know no hanky-panky, none of that messing around stuff, no, no, no drinking, no cussing. I mean, I got, I, I got saved when I was 12. Amen. Most of them I never kissed. Most of them. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but man, if they didn't laugh, if they didn't laugh, I, 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 one date, just one date, and, I, and I, I couldn't wait to get them back home. I mean, I pulled up, opened the door, see ya. I, I just couldn't stand to be around someone that didn't have a sense of humor. And guess, guess what I married? I married a girl who had a great laugh. And her mama and her daddy would laugh. We'd, we'd sit around the table, and her daddy would tell stories, and the mom would start laughing, and we were afraid we were going to have to do CPR. She'd just stop breathing. She'd be laughing so hard. Next thing you know, the dad's laughing, and the, you know, everybody's laughing. I mean, mealtime was laughing time. That's dangerous. You know, but I mean, we would just sit around the table and just laugh and laugh and laugh. Everything was funny. So I went from the Thomason laughter to the Pratt laughter. And then later in life, I, I met Ruth, and Ruth is a laugher. Ruth is a joyful person. And that's, one, that's the first thing that attracted me to her. When she's walking across the parking lot, at Cary Hilliard, there in, in Pooler, Georgia, we had made a date to have lunch together, and I'm sitting there waiting on a woman on a bench, and she's fashionably late, and she gets out of her car, and she comes bouncing across the parking lot, had this big smile on her face, and was just full of joy, and I, I knew I liked her instantly. Why? Because she's a laugher, and we would laugh together, and we had we had uh, we had a funny meal. It was funny. I said funny things. She said funny things, and uh, lo and behold, we're married. And we've laughed together around the world in some really awkward situations. Amen. We really have. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Hebrews 12, 14 says to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. I want to read that to you from the Passion Translation. Y'all ready? Yeah. Hebrews 12, 14. Irene will put it up here. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition. 
and run swiftly toward holiness. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. You see, there's no humor if you miss God's grace. There's not going to be any joyful laughter if you miss the grace. It takes grace to laugh. Make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. You see, bitterness is the opposite of laughter. A joyful laughter, it doeth good like a medicine. But bitterness dries up the bones. Amen? Don't be a bitter old dry bones. Be a laughing maniac. Amen? What was that the evangelist had you do the other day? You know, he just, he just, he, he just pulled Bradley out and just, just made Bradley laugh. Amen. And that blessed me because I, I could feel that, that that was healing your soul. It was ministering to your soul and bringing healing and peace to your soul. And, that, and, and it was like a big dose of medicine. So everybody at, uh, uh, you know, at the, on three, we're, I want you to just laugh. Loud. Good old belly laugh. One, two, three. Ha, 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 ha. Come on, Dalen. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Okay. Praise God. Number three, always. Everybody say always. always. Always be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the source of your joy. You'll not endure if you don't have joy. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, for the joy that was set before him. Joy is a very key element if you're going to finish and win, you've got to have the joy of the Lord. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. strength. Amen. Always be, so always be filled with the Holy Spirit because He's the source. Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy, where? In the Holy, in the Holy Ghost. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all what? Joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, joy and peace are connected to hope, and it's all found in the Holy Ghost. So when he said, when he said be not drunk with wine, how do you, how do you get drunk anyway? I've never been drunk. Those of you who have, how did you get drunk? You drank and you drank. You know, very few people get drunk on the first drink. So they have to drink again. Drink and drink and drink some more. Well, if that's how you get drunk, how do you stay drunk? Is that right, Ruth? <laughs> Keep drinking. Amen. She knows. Okay. 
How many of you know that the only way you're going to stay drunk is to keep drinking? Because if you stop, you're going to sober up, have a headache, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen that. I haven't experienced it, but I've seen it. Okay. In the same manner, if you're going to stay filled with the joy of the Lord, you're going to have to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you stay full of the Holy Spirit? You keep drinking. You keep drinking at the fountain. You know, there's a fountain we're supposed to be drinking at. And it's the fountain of the Holy Spirit. And you're supposed to be partaking of the Holy Spirit in such a manner as a drunk man would do to stay drunk. The world doesn't need to know what you're like without the Holy Ghost. That's an ugly picture. I want to tell you, I'm ugly without the Holy Spirit. I'm mean, I'm bitter, I'm sad, I'm sick. I'm a mess. You don't want to see me sobered up. You don't want to see me sobered up. You want to see me, you know, functionally drunk on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Y'all understand this language, don't you? Okay. You want to become a functionally, a functioning Holy Spirit-filled person. And that person is going to be full of joy, full of laughter, full of strength, full of hope, and that person is going to make it to the end and be a winner. Amen? So just keep drinking. Hallelujah. How, how do I drink of the Holy Spirit? Well, you, you, you get with Him, you fellowship with Him, you pray, you talk to Him, you love on Him, and, and you speak in tongues even when you don't feel like it. Amen. Praying in tongues when you're angry will calm you down. Praying in tongues when you're grieved will exchange the, the garments of grief for the garments of praise. Amen. Amen. When my first wife, Norma, passed away, my friend Larry Easton came to my house and, and uh, others, other people were there and everybody's trying to comfort me. And Larry pulled me over to one side, and he said, he said, Brother Ron, he said, I, I, words can't express, words can never be enough. But he said, one thing you need to do, whenever you are hit with a wave of grief, and you all know what I'm talking about, those grief waves that just come on you. He said, whenever you're hit with a wave of grief, just begin to pray in tongues. Just pray in tongues, and it will pass, and the joy of the Lord will come back to you. And so I did. I mean, many times, many times. That, and, and those grief waves, they come at the most unexpected times. Like one time I just opened the closet, and I saw a dress, and man, boom, I'm crying in the closet. Somebody ought to write a song, crying in the closet. Amen. But I, I remembered what Larry said, and I began to speak in tongues. I began to pray in the Spirit. Next thing I know, there was this, this, this little drop of joy in my heart, and I began, to, I, began to, I began to praise Him and worship Him. And next thing you know, you know, the grief is past. There were times when I had to, I'm driving down the road, and I had to pull over because I'd hear a song on the, on, on the radio or I'd see something. I mean, it's amazing the little things that triggers it. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just some little thing would just boom, and there you are, you know, your, your tears running down, and I'd have to pull the car over and stop. And what did I do? Well, I prayed in tongues. I'd pray in tongues until the, the windshield cleared, and I could go again. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. It works. I can testify. I can testify. There are times in your life when you won't make it. You'll be a quitter if you don't know how to pray in tongues. And that's God's gift to you. That's not something we make you do. That's not a rule you're, that you follow. That's not, that's not a, uh, a religious doctrine. It's the gift. The Bible calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is sent alongside to comfort you. And I, and I, I thought, oh my goodness. I've known this scripture all my life. And now he's doing it. Now he's comforting me. Now he's strengthening me. Now I'm finding out the personal benefits of having the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen? And you, you know what? If you have the Holy Spirit in your life and you take advantage of having him in your life, you won't ever quit. And you'll always win. Amen. Amen. Number four is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody know what that is? Love. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You need the love of God if you want to endure to the end. We're not talking about self-love, self human love, family love, the way you love your cat, your dog. And those are all real loves. I'm not knocking them. I'm not putting down love in your pet, your parrot, your parakeet, your, your many cats. Amen. It was a good thing Ruth married me because she was on her way to being a cat lady. I saved her just in time. But it, that, that's a genuine love. But it's not the kind of love we're talking about here. We're talking about the love of God. We're talking about agape love. The very love that God is. God is agape. God is love. And we're talking about a divine impartation of God's love. That will endure everything. And that will never fail. Amen. Love. Well, love is, love requires an object. Amen? If you say, I love you, then you, that's the object of your love. You're the lover, and you're actively loving on somebody. If you're going to be a winner in life, you've got to keep loving people. You've got to love people. You've got to love the people you're with, love the people you're around, love your enemies. Jesus talked about it a lot. Love those who, love those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Anybody can love a friend, but you, you, Jesus said you're going, you've got the kind of love that will enable you to love your enemies. 
the kind of love that, that motivated Stephen when he's being stoned to death to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. Amen? Yeah, it's the Jesus kind of love, the kind he had. We see it all through the Bible. You see it all through history. Read martyrs, uh, read uh, Fox's book of martyrs. And all through history, people were being burnt at the stake. And while they're dying in the flames, they're loving the people that are putting the torch to them. Nations have been transformed by people who loved even unto death. Don't quit loving people. I had an Uncle John. He was an Assembly of God pastor, good man, very, very kind, sweet man. He and his wife uh, pastored churches and uh, traveled a lot as evangelists, spent most of their life on the road as evangelists. And I was asking him uh, why, and he said, well, he, uh, he found it very difficult to be a pastor. And he said it wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't the preaching wasn't the praying. He said it was, you know, the, the, the stuff they would do to their pastor. And he started telling me some of the things that people had done to him. And I mean, he, they, there was one church that voted him in to be their pastor, and then they found out another pastor that they would really rather have all of a sudden became available. And so they told him, we need you to leave so we can get the pastor we really want. And he said, no, I was voted in here for two years. I'm going to serve my two years. And they said, no, you're not. We're going, you know, you got to go. And he said, no, I don't have to go. <laughs> and so they proceeded to get rid of him. They hired a woman who, uh, who claimed that he had had a, a, a sexual relationship with her. And, uh, you know, uh, he survived that because uh, she got, he immediately got cancer, and on her deathbed, she confessed that she had been paid by the deacons to lie about him. But that didn't stop him. They, uh, he went off somewhere on vacation, came back, and, and all of his belongings had been taken out of the parsonage and locked away in some hidden storage unit, and they refused to tell him where his stuff was. He came home to an empty house. And he began to tell me story after story after story after story. I mean, and not just that church, but other things that happened in other places. And uh, he said, he said, you know, he said, so uh, he said, I would still pastor today if my wife would let me. But my wife says no more. So that's why, you know, we're evangelists now. We're going around preaching, holding revivals, getting people saved. But we're not having to be subjected to that pastor stuff. And I said, you mean to say that if your wife was willing that you would continue pastoring? I said, how can you do that? He said, I just decided I was always going to love people no matter what they do to me. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather get my head cut off and grow another head than to stop loving people. Because when you stop loving people, you become bitter to the bone. And his wife was another story. She developed a deadly disease. She almost died. She had to have a miracle healing. But it only came after she forgave all those people. 
He didn't have that experience because he, was, he walked around with love in his heart. His wife had to be uh, humbled and made to love. Which is better? Amen? But I just want to tell you, always love people, no matter what they do to you. I have very little sympathy and patience for people that are not going to church today because of church hurt. Because you see, every time I've ever been hurt in relationships, it was from church people. I've been in the church all my life. You learn to trust people in your church. People call you friends. They wine and dine you. You know, you spend a lot of time fellowshipping with them, and you, you let your hair down a little bit, and they take, they take what they learn about you, and they knife you in the back with it. I've been stabbed in the back more than once. I've been lied about, robbed, cheated, defrauded. I've had people make passes at my wife. Yeah, and they were all in the church. So if anybody has any right to be church hurt, it's me. But I'm not. You know why? Because I d I'm determined to love people. And if you love them, you forgive them. You watch them like a hawk. <laughs> but you forgive them. Amen? Amen? Always love people. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'll always love you. <laughs> Whitney, Whitney Houston sang a song, you know, I'll, if you want to, you can sing it to each other. I'll always love you. <laughs> Amen. I almost got it. All right. Y'all got time for a couple more? How, the question arises, how can I always love people? You have to walk in forgiveness. And I could preach all, all day on forgiveness. And we've preached a lot about it. Jimmy's talked a lot about it in his Bible study. But forgiveness uh, is, is, the, is the answer to this church, church hurt thing. Church hurt, disappointment, personal failure can make your heart bitter. Forgiveness keeps your heart sweet. If you're going to be a winner, you've got to have a heart full of love and forgiveness. Amen? And then number six, always cast your cares on Jesus. Now, y'all knew I was going to mention that, right? Because, you know, that's, that's one, of our, uh, one of my cardinal rules of life. Always cast my cares on Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay, God's going to resist the proud. Resist means he arrays he, all of his army, all of his forces against the proud. Do you want God for you or do you want God against you? Smart decision. All right, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Was it Jimmy that said that, you know, that God requires us to humble ourselves? He won't humble you, but he requires you to humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And here's how you humble yourself. This is one sentence. 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care. That word care means anxieties, worries, fears, dreads, forebodings, anything that will keep you up at night, anything that would cause you any trauma or any worry or wringing of the hands, cast it. That word cast means throw it with great force. Cast it, throw it with great force at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he will take care of that. That's not a suggestion. That's a commandment. Dalen, have I ever told you about this, casting all your cares on the Lord? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Many times. Well, I'm telling you again. Because <laughs> you're, you're not going to be the winner God wants you to be unless you, until you learn how to cast all your cares on Jesus. You'll go through life worrying. Worry is sin. and Worry will make you sick. Worry will kill you as a young... It, worry will kill you dead. So how do I avoid worry? I take away everything that worries me and I give it to Jesus. And I just leave it. I blew Ruth's mind a few years ago, back in 2014, when, when Obama was reelected. We couldn't believe that anybody would vote for him twice. Well, now we think maybe there might have been some hanky-panky going on with the machines even back then. But they announced that he was the winner. He won re-election. And uh, it was late at night, you know, around midnight. And we were up there just hoping, praying, believing God that he wouldn't get in there a second term. Because he was bad for America. He's still bad for America. And I'm not talking politics here. I'm talking truth, reality. Well, y'all missed a good chance to say amen. 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 Obama is bad for America. Amen. Okay, he's the one who's opened the door to George Soros and all these other pe people that are not even Americans to come in and interfere in our, in our society. And so uh, we were opposed to him. Well, he got reelected, maybe, but he got back in. It's about midnight, and I told Ruth, I'm going to bed. She couldn't believe it. She's up there. She's walking back and forth. She's fuming. I mean, she's saying, God, are you there, God? You know, I mean, she was just, you know, she was really, really worked up. I go, I go to bed. I lay my head on the pillow. She said, instantly I was snoring. She couldn't believe it. She wanted to wake me up <laughs> and ask me, what am I doing? You know, but she let me sleep. Next morning, she says, she says, how could you do that? And I said, well, before I went to bed, I cast all my care of it over on the Lord. I said, Lord, you knew this was going to happen before it happened. This didn't surprise you. You're God. And, uh, there, and I've done everything I can. I've prayed. I've voted. I've done everything I know to do. And so, okay, God, it's in your hands now. I'm going to sleep. I go to my room. I go to bed. And I go to sleep. That's how I'm able to be a pastor for 51 years. Because if I stayed up all night worrying about your problems, I'd never get any sleep. 
but I always just take everything. I can't, uh, my family, my personal problems, my financial needs, e everything that might bother me and keep me awake at night, I take it to the Lord and I leave it with Him. And I go to sleep. And Ruth is my witness. She's learned to do it too. She's got family members that would keep her up at night. But she's constantly casting her care of it over on the Lord. And where do we get this saying? We're waving goodbye to somebody. Take care. Take care, care y'all. Be anxious. Be filled with foreboding, dread, worry. Hello. Be afraid. People are always saying that to me. Take care. I'll say, no, thank you. You know what I tell them? Be blessed. Be safe. Be prosperous. You know, nanu, nanu. May the force be with you. Anything but take care. Anything but take care. Amen. True humility is when you realize there are things you cannot fix. And you give it to Jesus. Amen. And then the last but not least, Hebrews 10, 23. If you're going to be a winner in life, you're going to have to remain in fellowship with other believers. We are not designed to run this race by ourselves. We need help. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. That means there's more than just me in this race. There's more than just me. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. You know, there's some folks who don't think they need us. They don't think they need anybody else. I hear about them all the time. Well, uh, we, we worship in our own home church. We have a home church. Like homeschool, home church. We teach our kids at home. And we have our own home church. We don't need anybody else. As the manner of some is. But, instead of doing like they're doing, exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to remain in fellowship with one another so that we can provoke one another to love and to do good works and that we may exhort one another because we see the end is approaching and we want everybody to make it all the way to the end. Amen? Amen? Psalm 68, 5 in the Passion Translation says, 
To the fatherless, he is a father. To the widow, he is a champion friend. To the lonely, he makes them part of a family. To the prisoners, he leads into prosperity until they sing for joy. This is our holy God in his holy place. But for the rebels, there is heartache and despair. Mm. Remain in fellowship. Do whatever you have to do to stay in fellowship. And I want to tell you something. Sunday morning, Wednesday night is not enough. I said it's not enough. Some folks, they think they're doing well to show up at church once a month. We used to have a, several of those folks. But after COVID, those people disappeared. We haven't seen them since. You know why? They quit. They were too weak. They gave up. We used to call them the, uh, the fringe members, the fringe. You know, people that, that will come just occasionally, once in a while. Just, long, just, just often enough to, say, to be able to tell their relatives they go to church. I learned something. I don't ask my relatives, do you go to church? I ask them, how often do you go to church? Because they'll tell, oh, yeah, I go to church. What's the pastor's name? Oh, uh, George, uh, Bill. Uh, oh, I know him well. Uh, you know. Amen. No. God takes the lonely and puts them in families. Now, he's t he, King James says the solitary. He sets the solitary into families. And we tend to think that's one person. That's a widow, an orphan. You know, that's one person. But he also takes families and joins them to other families. Well, I've got a big family. Yeah, I know. I grew up in a big family. You know, in my church, in my home church that I grew up in, if they said, Brother Thomason, would you stand and pray? Eight men would stand up. Half the church was named Thomason. But we all went to church. And we all went to the same church, which was always mind-boggling for me because three of those Thomason brothers shared a car lot with each other, and they saw each other Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day long. And then on Sunday, they go to church together. Amen. And then on Sunday afternoon, they say, we're going over to George's house. The fa you know, the, the, the brothers are, you know, we're, we're going to converge at George's house or Sam's house or Uncle Murray's house. We go, we'll go over there on Sunday afternoon, and lo and behold, there's all those people we had just been in church with. <laughs> laughing and cutting up and having a great time. Making homemade ice cream and watermelon. Mm. And then guess what? Monday they were back at the car lot together. They loved each other, but they had room in their heart to share that love with people whose names were not Thomason. There was another whole half of the church, and it was a great church, but there was, there was this, this built-in demand for fellowship, and boy, we fellowshiped. Mm -hmm. Well, did they ever get in disagreements? Oh, yeah. They were brothers. 
<laughs> Amen. But they were always able to settle their disagreements before the sun went down because they knew the word. And they were full of the Holy Ghost. And they would laugh. And the next day they'd be laughing about their argument of the previous day. They learned to walk in love towards people because they were always together. As we see the end coming, the finish line is within sight. This is no time for us to fall out of fellowship with each other. It's no time for us to stop loving or to get bitter. We need to use the tools that God's given us and persevere and endure till the end. Amen? Amen? Well, it's straight up 12 o'clock. You know what that means? It's communion time. So we're going to have our usher service with the elements of communion. We missed it last Sunday. I, uh, I was going to do it last Sunday, but I, I got so busy showing you pictures I forgot. And so it's my fault, but uh, we're going we're gonna to serve communion. We practice open communion. You can be a Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, uh, heathen, whatever. But we, we, we allow you to take communion with us. Some churches, you know, you've got to be a member of the church before you can take communion. And, and all we believe is being a member of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, I've actually been to churches and they wouldn't let me take communion because I wasn't a member. And I said, well, that's not the communion I want. I want the, I, I want the Christian communion. Amen? Amen? Praise God. And I want you to know these little cups were hard to get. They were on back order for a long time. Everybody's gone to this. Okay. Are you ready? Come on, John. You're supposed to be just, just toss them like biscuits. Okay. Amen. There's a restaurant in Branson, Missouri called Lambert's. You go in this restaurant and they, you sit down and they, they, they walk around these big old baskets of yeast rolls. And you tell them you want a yeast roll, they'll throw it at you. And if you miss it, they'll throw you another one. So they had yeast rolls all over the floor where people, people missed their yeast rolls. Amen. We're going to start doing that with communion cups. You know. Praise God. The same Jesus that endured the cross said before he went to the cross, he took the bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. I'm sure the bread he was holding in his hand didn't look anything like this. Probably didn't taste anything like this. This is not an exact replica. It's symbolic. Amen. This is a picture of what we're doing on the inside. On the inside, we are partaking of the body of the Lord Jesus. You can't do that if you hate your neighbor. Because the Bible says that we are the body of Christ.
The church is the body of Christ. So when we take this, we're accepting not only the body of Jesus, but we're accepting his church body. We're, we're saying, Lord, I love you, but I also love my fellow Christian. Lord, I'm committing myself to you, but I'm also committing myself to the body. Amen? I'm eating the body. He said, he said if, you, if you have aught with somebody, he said, you need to make things right with them so that you can do this worthily. Amen? So it's not just a, a vertical thing. Oh, I have my own relationship with God. My relationship with God depends on my relationship with you. Amen? I've got to walk in love towards you. Or, or, you know, but the Bible says, how can you say you love somebody that you haven't seen when you don't even love the one you have seen? But I don't like them. It didn't say anything about liking them. It said love them. Whole, whole different thing. <laughs> Amen. Lord, I set myself to not only loving you, but to loving your body, the church. I'm not going to be one of those people that goes around bad-mouthing the church, finding fault with the church, because that's your bride. And I'm not going to speak evil of the bride of Christ. I don't want to get slapped down by the groom. I want to walk in love towards my brothers and sisters. And I, as I eat this bread, I remember that you went to the cross so that we could be one in the Spirit. And we give you praise for it. Let's eat together. But, Pastor, you don't know what so-and-so did. Yeah. I don't know what so-and-so did. I, I don't know everything you did. But I do know there's power in the blood to wash them and you clean of it. Say, well, I've, I've committed some really bad sins. Well, this is really good blood. <laughs> Amen? There's not a sin this blood can't cleanse. There's not a sin that this blood can't separate you from forever. There's power in the blood. Amen? How many of you believe there's power in the blood of Jesus? Lord, we thank you for shedding your blood for us that we can go free from our sins and that we can allow our brothers and sisters to be free from their sins. In Jesus' name, thank you for forgiving me and for forgiving them. Amen. Let's drink together. Amen. 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 Okay. Would all the winners please stand up? Amen. If you're a winner in life, stand up. Praise God. Everybody loves a winner, so everybody loves you. Amen. Look around. These, these people love you because you're a winner. Amen. Praise God. Lift your hands to the Lord and thank Him. 
for victory in life. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You give us the victory over and over and over and over and over again. Victory is our destiny. Victory is our condition right now. And we are always victorious through Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be friendly with each other. Don't just rush out. And be sure you get to see Dalen and tell her happy birthday. Amen. Slip her a $50 bill. She'll remember it. Amen. Praise God.